Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. It's uh, in the wee hours of the morning, so by the time many of you hear this, I will be asleep, hopefully. It has been a busy day, as always. This is the time of year. You know, we had football stuff today. We had some football recruiting stuff today. We had a baseball game today, so we're going to get into a lot of that stuff. Because of the fact that Mike Nemeth and I covered uh, the baseball game, we weren't able to attend the football media opportunity. Paul Jones, Dave Murray did that for us. Uh, Robbie Falk out on prep assignment tonight. So a busy night on the home front for sure. As I mentioned, it is that time of year. So uh, my hope is, is that sometime soon I'll be able to go to bed at a reasonable hour. But I do enjoy doing these shows uh, after things have kind of happened, when they're kind of fresh in my mind, you know, we get done with baseball, and rather than having to kind of go back and read notes, I can kind of recount things as I read the box score. So I think it's important that you guys uh, get these shows earlier in the day as well. I know many of you are in appreciating the fact that you have all day to listen to them. We're in uh, the old schedule. Sometimes they'd be up, uh, hopefully, early afternoon, sometimes late afternoon, depending on what I had going on. But it's one of those deals I can get up here at night, get done with the ball game, write a story or two, and then the house is quiet. The dogs don't need to go in and out. Everybody's ready to go to bed, and I can get this done because what happens in the morning, as soon as I wake up and feet hit the floor, you know, I got to feed the dogs, got all this stuff going on. Sometimes I got to bring the kid to school. And then other times, you know, you grab your phone, and then the day is racing you. There's things, there's news that breaks overnight. There's phone calls we have to do in the morning, kind of have to have a content plan for the website. We've got a good crew, though, so more times than not, we don't have to say, hey, let's do this. Very rarely do we have to do that. We've got pros that work at jeanspage.com. But my point is, is before you know it, it's noon. And so I like to kind of get this stuff done so I don't have the distractions of the day. So we'll, you know, we'll start chasing our tail uh, here in a few hours after I get up. But I want to share a couple things with you that I've learned because I know sometimes you guys can't finish these uh, gigantic shows that I do in one sitting. 
So I wanted to get this out of the way early. The first thing that I want to say, there was some NCAA statements made this week, you know, about some transgender issues. I'm not going to make any statements on how I feel about any of that stuff because, quite frankly, I don't get involved in political issues. I'm just kind of apolitical for the most part. That said, I am told with confidence from impeccable sourcing that there will be no changes to how the NCAA selects regional host hosting sites for baseball and softball. It's just simply too late in this process. There will come a time there'll be a discussion about some of these other issues, and we'll see how things progress. But, you know, to throw up a stumbling block for teams that are in the middle of a season, this weekend will mark the, the middle of SEC play for us, would just be absolutely ludicrous. And so that's not going to happen. So look, look for them to kind of stand down, at least for this year, and there'll be some discussions about that later. I know many of you have expressed a great deal of concern about, hey, what does this mean for us? You know, our state passed this legislation or whatever. And it seems so crazy, you know, because like the NCAA got involved in a state flag issue. And and I will share this with you. I I don't believe the NCAA should be involved in politics. I I just don't. No matter how we feel about certain things, to kind of strong arm states, you know, because here's the deal. You know, Tanner Allen's out there taking BP every day. You know, Will Badnar's out there doing those stretching exercises, getting a bullpen. Listen, they don't have a say in any of that stuff. Those guys aren't even from Mississippi. They just happen to go to school here and play baseball for us exceptionally well. I doubt they're even registered voters here. But their opportunity to go out and compete for a national championship could be impeded, you know, by some uh, suit in an NCAA office somewhere that says, hey, let's, let's get involved in this and let's change this. I just, I, I'm a singleness of purpose guy. I mean, I really am. And uh, I think one of the things that you have to do is you work on what you're good at and you work on what your mandate is. And so there are a lot of things in life that come up that are somewhat offensive to me. It's very, 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 very hard to get me offended about anything. But one of the things it really does is when I feel like there is some overreach. And that's what this feels like. And this is not about this specific issue. It's just any time the NCAA gets involved in other things that are outside their purview, I just think that that is wrong. I think they need to do what they do. Their function is to ensure that there is fair play in intercollegiate athletics, to ensure that there are rules and guidelines in place, to ensure that that directive is met, to ensure the safety of our student-athletes, to ensure that there is no malfeasance on the recruiting trail. And listen, the NCAA can barely do those things. And so why do we get involved in all this other stuff? Those are the things that really irritate me. They they really, really irritate me. So, like, here's a good example. I don't call my doctor and ask him for stock tips. And that's not to say that my doctor hadn't made a bunch of money in the stock market. He might be an absolute whiz. Maybe I should call him. But I called him to discuss medical issues i set appointments with him to discuss my health or you know maybe a new medication that i've got to take or you know a a new fitness program that i'm on you know I, i contact him about things that he is being paid to do by the same token i don't call my stockbroker and ask him for medicine and so there is a function in life for all of us. And one of the things that I'm, I, I don't want to preach too long, we're not going to pass around an offering plate and hum just as I am or anything like that. But one of the things that, that I think is wrong with society today 
is there are too many people trying to involve themselves in too many things that don't necessarily impact them. I had a guy say in an AA meeting one time, one of the most profound things that I've ever heard, 90% of the stuff that people get angry about aren't their business. Now, and there's always some, well, Steve, there's this and there's that. You pump the brakes, okay, Jimmy? It's silliness. Okay, so let's, again, let's focus on our primary function. Let's get that done first, because like the NCAA is having trouble even you know, mandating the NCAA enforcement. I mean, we can't even get through this process right now with all these NCAA basketball cases due to the Nike investigation and the federal wiretaps. This thing is drug on so far, even though you've got actual evidence. You've got federal wiretaps that are available to you, you, know, you, you don't have subpoena power, but you've been gifted these items that are now public record, and you can sanction these people to death. And we can't get that done. So let's go involve ourselves in something else. You know, it's, it's, it, it's infuriating to me to think, you know what, just do what you're being paid to do. I don't know why it's difficult. And so the rest of that story is, is that, you know, if there is this overreach, you know, we had to deal with the state flag, us and South Carolina, both. And I just don't think the NCAA should hold anybody hostage. And so the, the problem had always been, well, you know, okay, we're not going to bring any, you know, I guess you would say, uh, you know, neutral site championship type things to Mississippi because we don't agree with the flag. Well, there are a lot of things that go on in other states that we probably don't agree with either. But so, but we're going to do this window dressing approach to things because this is a hot button issue. And so we're going to hold those folks hostage. But what they wouldn't do is they wouldn't you know, prohibit, you know, Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Southern Miss from hosting a baseball regional because those were earned through merit. Well, then after this latest thing with the state flag, then you know, Greg Sankey says, hey, listen, we're not going to do SEC championships instead of Mississippi. Uh, NCAA kind of follows suit. Hey, we're not going to do – we're not going to allow anybody to host. That got our attention. But where does it end? Where do we have to stop? You know, is the NCAA just going to say, you know what, hey, if there's a political issue in your state that we don't agree with, if we don't like how the, you know, the, the, the electorate voted – then we're going to withhold these uh, opportunities for your student-athletes. And that's wrong. You're not going to convince me otherwise. That is wrong. The NCAA has no business setting governmental policy you know, for states around the country. They just simply don't. Now, they can pick and choose where they want to put their championships. That's their business. I, I, that's just part of their job. And it's, it's wrong of us to tell them where they can't. But when you establish a protocol that says, okay, this is what a team has to do to earn an NCAA regional, then you can't go back later and say, well, you know, yeah, they earned it, but because some other people out there, you know, some politicians or some other people that have nothing to do with college baseball decided to do this, well, we're going to withhold that from Mississippi State and Ole Miss. It's, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Now, the next thing I wanted to tell you, because I'm going to move on from that because I'm going to get angry, because I really do get angry about that kind of stuff. Because I, I think that it is so incredibly unfair to even suggest that possibility that Rowdy Jordan, you know, Tanner Allen, those guys, you know, could be in a situation where no matter how hard they worked and no matter how many games they won, that somebody could pull that opportunity out from under them 
that they so richly deserve. It really irritates me. But it's not going to happen, at least not this year. The second thing I want to talk to you guys about, and again, I said I was moving on from that, and I am, is that if you're looking to come to see Mississippi State play baseball this weekend, come on. Come on. A lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, I haven't seen this. Just trust me on this. Just come on. All right? Get in the car. Come on. Come buy a ticket. Go cheer for the Bulldogs. We need you here. See the Super Bowl all weekend. Go to spring game. Check out the air raid. See Mike Leach out there in some cargo shorts and Will Rogers throwing balls around, making plays, looking cool. And then come over to Duty Noble Field. Come do it. Come get a ticket. Come check us out. It's a great time to be a Bulldog. So if you're planning to do that, if you're thinking, well, I'm on the fence because I want to make sure I got this. Listen, let me just tell you this. You're not going to get a chair back. Okay, that's not gonna, There are no chair backs to be had. If you want a chair back, buy season tickets next year. And I don't, I don't say that out of, uh, you know, pettiness or anything like that. But if you want to ensure that you always have a, a chair back, then you need to make the, uh, the, the necessary donation and, and buy the tickets. That's how you guarantee that. There are a lot of people that just say, well, I want to buy a GA ticket and then sit in the grandstand if there's a seat available. You know, you're taking a risk there. Well, why do you want that anxiety in your life? But if you're planning to come to the ballgame this weekend, come on. I'm telling you, come on. I'm not just suggesting it. I'm telling you. You're going to be okay. You come get your ticket. You go mill around and hang around at the drink, drink rail. Walk around the grandstand, go out there to the lounge, say hello to friends, family. Come on. And you say, well, Steve, I don't understand. Just stop. Just get in the car and come to Starkville. Go buy your ticket. Go to the ballgame. Simple as that. While you're in town, go by and see our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Probably need to plan ahead for that. You don't need to show up an hour before the game time thinking, okay, it'll be okay. No, they're going to be busy. And they should be, because they're a great place to go eat a hamburger. Two great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company coming to Ridgeland, Mississippi very soon. You guys, I mean, the news is out. I mean, you guys have seen the signage out there. I mean, the people took it up on Facebook, and people are all excited, and you darn well should be. You got a great place to eat burgers, and they're going to that old mugshots location out there in Ridgeland. It's a place where you're used to going to get hamburgers. And you're going to enjoy this one. A lot of people in central Mississippi have told me how excited they are. I said, you know what, Steve, it's always been kind of a treat for us when we go to Starkville, take the kids to Bulldog Burger Company. Now we can do it whenever we want. Go by and have the full of bologna burger. You know I'm on that grilled chicken club kick. The last three times is what I've had. I'm a creature of habit. That's a great thing about Bulldog Burger Company. You're always kind of changing the menu up. They keep the classics, right? But they're always introducing new items. They keep it fresh. Great portions, great food, at a great price. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Let's talk a little baseball. I love talking baseball with you guys. This is my favorite time of year. Really, I love football. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely do. I love football, the football recruiting. And maybe I'm biased towards baseball because we're great at it. You know what I'm saying? It's like I know we're going to win. Or I expect us to win. I expect us to have big years and go to regionals, and I expect us to go to Omaha. You can say, well, Steve, you're a bit of a homer. Well, maybe I am. Maybe I am a homer. But I know this. I know Mississippi State baseball is great. And it has been, you know, for most of my life. We've had some, some, some valleys at times, but uh, we have consistently been, you know, a great baseball program. 
really no matter who the coach has been. And the more that I write these books and the more that I learn, I think, you know what, Mississippi State's been great at baseball for a long, long time, pretty much since the inception of the program back in the 1800s. We were a team you didn't want to tangle with. We're good at this baseball thing. And so I enjoy talking about that. I enjoy getting to know our Diamond Dogs. I enjoy getting to know so many of these great players that have worn the maroon and white and M over S over the years. And it's not just the Clarks and Palmeros of the world, too. I, mean, I was a Gator Thiessen guy, man. And on that 85 team, he was my favorite player. A lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, I mean, I, was this guy and that guy, I mean, was it Clark or Palmero? I, listen, it's both. You know, I can run down this. That, remember that 89 team that everybody talks about? It was so great, right? Remember that one? Arguably the best team in our history that didn't make it to Omaha. You could argue that maybe the 2016 is on that group, too. But I remember, you know, running down that 89 lineup, I mean, you had some dudes out there, man. You had Pete Young at third, Brad Hildreth at short, Burke Masters at second, Tommy Raffo at first. You had Richie Graham as a DH. You had guys out there named uh, John Cohen, Tracy Eccles, Jody Hurst. Had guys on the mound like Tracy Jobes and Pete Young and Chris George, Chuck Holly. We remember those names because those teams matter to us. Okay, so Carlisle Kessler gets the start tonight, and uh, he's a former starter. This is a guy that uh, actually started for us a little bit, even before he was a grad. He grad transferred. It's old school. I guess it was southeastern Louisiana, and then he comes here, and he's a weekend starter for us before we uh, finally settle some other things, and uh, he becomes a reliever for us. It feels like he's been in college since Dak Prescott was here. But uh, we go out there. Listen, it wasn't a great first inning. We got out of it without any trouble. But, uh, you know, we get out there and we have a couple guys get on and we're able to kind of get out of there. So he kind of buckles down with two men on and one out and gets a, a ground out a second. And then he strikes out. The Shays are looking. So we come out. Rowdy stays hot. Second pitch of uh, his at bat. He hits a bomb to right field. We don't do much after that. And it really got frustrating for a while for our fans. I, I know we get impatient. We expect to just run over everybody. You know, it doesn't always work that way. Baseball is a little different game than football. You know, football, you can go out there and do that and overwhelm people. But uh, top of the second, Arkansas State comes right back and ties the ball game up on a solo home run themselves to left field. And uh, it was pretty well hit, too. I mean, you know, you're not going to just sneak one out of a left field lounge, but uh, pretty good pretty good tank there. Makes it 1-1. We go 1-2-3 in the second. And the next thing you know, we're in a bit of a dogfight. We get the first out there in the third, and then Hicks gets a single, and then Klutz gets a single. Then there's a wild pitch. And at that point, you feel like, you know, we got we to make a change here. Carl all of a sudden have it. And uh, we you know, get a couple guys into it. DeShazer hits the uh, two RBI double there. I guess uh, no, I guess it was an RBI before that. But, um, you know, DeShazer was the last hitter that Carlisle saw. And so it's a 3-1 ball game. And at this point, you know, a lot of people are like, eh, you know, you know, we got Ole Miss Compass weekend. We can't afford to drop this game. You know, you need to get it serious. And, I, and listen, there's some of you that, like, the only time I hear from you is when you're unhappy. You never message me or anything when you're happy. It's always like, well, we're, we're disinterested in the ball game. So I never hear from you when we're happy, when you're happy. Maybe let me know when you're happy. So it's a 3-1 ball game, and then we have a chance to climb back in it. We go 1-2-3 there in the third. That was real frustrating. You know, we want to be able to answer. 
We get them out one, two, three. Cam Tuggle comes in, does a good job for us. And then in the, in the bottom of four, we're able to get one of those runs back. It felt like we had a chance to do some bigger things because we get a single from Braywin Skinner, who absolutely listen, that that listen, that guy really barrels up some baseballs. He's starting to see the baseball a lot better. I think he is uh you know, I think he's close to having one of those breakout series at some point. Hopefully it comes this weekend. And then Cam James gets a walk, so we've got runners at first and second, nobody out. And then Luke works a walk, so it's bases loaded, nobody out. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is when we go ahead and, you know, make our move here and we'll take the lead. Bases juice, nobody down. And then Logan Tanner flies out. And so we get a sack fly there, but everybody tagged on the play. So good base running there by Luke Hancock to tag from first and go to second despite that ball being in the left field. And then here we go. Runners at second and third with just one down. You're thinking, we just get anything here. You know, we get a, give me a fly ball to right and get another run home and tie the ball game. Hatcher goes down swinging, and then Cumbus flies out to center. I mean, if you've got that order reversed, it's a 3-3 ball game. we got to do a better job of runners in scoring position early in ball games. We, we finally did that on Sunday at Auburn, but Friday and Saturday we had our chances and we didn't do it. You look up now and we get we get out of the uh, – Cade Smith comes in and really has done a nice job. Two appearances now. He's really, really, really look, looking like the guy we hoped he would be. This guy's a future weekend guy for you guys. I would say Cade Smith's probably in contention to be a Saturday guy next year. You can say, well, Steve, what about – we got – most of our guys are, are draft eligible on the weekend. You know, I think I think Fristo's maybe your Friday night guy next year. I think Cade Smith will be in contention for a Saturday night spot. He'll definitely be on the weekend. But he's really starting to live up to his potential. And you're just trying to build some stamina now. You know, it's one of those deals where you go through this and it's like you can't just throw him right back out. You kind of got to build him back up. And so uh, Cade's going to be a good one for Mississippi State. He gets a one, two, three in and, and closes out the fifth with a pair of strikeouts looking. And, and you love to see that. You know, it's one thing to get the swing and miss. It's another thing to be able to fool guys and they keep the bat on their shoulder. Uh, we come out in the bottom of five. We finally tie this thing up, and it seemed like it took us forever to get the bats going. They brought, brought in this algae kid, and, man, he really struggled to throw strikes. The guy that ties it up for us is Lane Forsythe, probably the guy that you least expected to hit a home run. He hit an absolute shot to right center. Ties the game at three, and then we, we follow that with another Rowdy Jordan hit. We get a single there. Just don't do anything with it. You know, we gotta we gotta find a way to get these guys. We gotta have the big inning. You know, we had one tonight, but it's like we gotta be able to put up crooked numbers. We can't just keep piecemealing this thing out. If we're just gonna be a one run inning type team, we need to do a lot more bunting. We need to move runners and that sort of stuff. We need to find a way. We need to run the bases better. And that's one of the things that I guess gets frustrating. It's like we, we have opportunities for big innings and we just don't come through. And listen, give give some credit to the other guys too. I mean, they're pitching the ball pretty well. So we get into the uh, six there, and they start with back-to-back hits. But Cade gets out of it. You get a K on a bunt because the kid's uh, sitting there trying to bunt with two strikes. Did a poor job, I thought, early on. And then you get um, you get Gish to strike out swinging. We walk Hubert. Now the bases are loaded, and um, we end up striking out Tipton. And so you get out of this deal. You pitch yourself into a jam, but you're able to pitch yourself out. That's just kind of life and times in college baseball sometimes. So we get to the six. We're able to play a couple runs here to, to finally take the lead. And who is it again? It's Lane Forsythe who nearly hit a granny. 
I mean, that ball probably missed getting into the plaza by about a foot, foot and a half. He absolutely hit a tank job the opposite way and, uh, you know, did it just did what you expect the guy to do. But, my goodness, this is a nine-hole hitter as a freshman. It's a nice little bridge to the top of that order to have laying down there because more times than not, a lot of people, they put a weak hitter down there at nine. And all of a sudden, it's almost like having a second leadoff, having foresight down there. I mean, this is a guy that's hitting about 290 now, maybe close to 300. And the nine hole is kind of hiding down there like a snake in the reeds. And who knew that he would be the hero offensively early on in this ball game? When State needed to get a big hit, it was foresight to freshman getting it for us. So now it's a 5-3 ball game. And again, we got a chance to do something else with that. We got a runner in scoring position with less than two outs. Pardon me, we did have one, the two outs there. Then Rowdy gets the walk, and then we ground out there. But we did manage to take the lead. Could have been a bigger inning. We get into the top of seven, and we uh, bring in Preston Johnson. Now, this is big. Okay, I'm a Preston Johnson fan. I think this guy is going to have to be good for us as a middle reliever on the weekends. Probably see him this weekend against Ole Miss. You know, he didn't have a good outing against Auburn. Comes out, walks the first two guys he sees in the bottom of seven on Friday night. Next thing you know, we're in a bit of a dogfight. After we had dominated that game, and then we kind of gift him a couple base runners. They both come around and score. So it's good to see Preston get back on the horse and go out there and perform. And listen, I, a little bit shaky, I guess, early on there. He hit the first guy, gets an 0-2 count, and he hits a guy. The breaking ball get away from him. And rather than pout and rather than nibble, he goes and charges right after the next three hitters and strikes all of them out. Nobody gets to a two-ball count. You start a couple guys out with a ball and you work your way back, and uh, the, all three of those are K's looking. All three. And he's got overpowering stuff. He can get a lot of swing and miss stuff. But I thought, you know what? You go out there, you make the one mistake, but you don't compound that mistake. You don't let that one hitter ruin the entire inning. So we come right back, and Preston Johnson, I think, is back on track. And that's big for Mississippi State. It really is. Preston Johnson is going to be a dude for us. I love that guy's game. I, really, I, was, I was disappointed for him, not necessarily in him. I was disappointed we walked those guys. But I, it didn't shake my faith in the guy. I think you get him back on the mound as quick as you can, you let him go out there and throw strikes and kind of regain his confidence. So bottom of seven, we come back and put another run on the board. And uh, it was this was one of those wild things, too, where – uh, you know, you have the error. You know, it's like we've been putting the ball in play and uh, Cam James gets on base, you hit by pitch and steals. And then, uh, we, you know, we, we they throw the ball in the center field on a pickoff attempt and we go to third and we're able to get that run home uh, on an error. But it's a 6-3 ball game. And at this point, I think everybody began to relax. I said, okay, we've kind of got this thing in control. It was a 3-1 ball game. Next now, it's a 6-3 game. Thank you, Lane Forsyth. And so we bring in Parker Stinnett. And this is a guy, too, that uh, has been really good in one-inning bursts. You know, he's not a guy that when we've we've stretched him out a couple of innings, that second inning, he struggled a little bit. But he was good. Gets a ground out and another ground out and gets a K-swing and to go get in the dugout. And so that's sometimes all we're going to need is an inning. And Parker Stinnett has consistently shown with that hammer curve that he can go out there and get us three outs. And sometimes that's all you need. Maybe, maybe this is one of those things where, you know, maybe you get six out of Christian McLeod and you give it to Preston for an inning, give it to Stinnett for an inning, and then bring in Landon Sims. Some of y'all were calling for Landon Sims tonight. Goodness gracious. 
All right, so bottom of eight, and it's funny. I guess the Brad Cumbus is taking this thing personally. You know, with uh, Lamona saying, "You know what? It's a tough guy to lead off an inning with because Cumbus hit one that nearly left the stadium." I mean, it was an absolute tank. And I thought it left the stadium until I saw the replay later. And basically, it's a couple rows uh, shy of leaving the left field lounge out there. I mean, an absolute massive home run. Scotty DeBrill comes back and gets a single. Forsyth, his third hit of the night, gets a single. Pushes DeBrill around the third. Now you've got runners on a corner, and they make a pitching change. And then there's Rowdy Jordan again. Let him get hot if you want to. Let him get hot if you want to. Rowdy Jordan with a double there, and uh, Forsyth goes to third. DeBrule scores. It's an 8-3 ball game. We pinch hit Kellum Clark for Braywin Skinner, and he didn't do much at this at bat. Um, Rowdy basically comes around to score, and uh, Kellum Clark walks. Then you got Cam James uh, singles. We're moving some guys around, and it's just like they just simply could not throw strikes. They couldn't even make it competitive at times. God bless you, Tommy. We love you up there. We really do. But these relief pitchers they brought in, I'm I'm sure their fans probably feel about the back end of their bullpen kind of like we do today for the same reasons. So we start putting this thing together, and it just seemed like anything that could go right for us did, and anything that could go wrong for them did. Uh, We get, uh, you know, we get an RBI from Luke Hancock on a ground ball. Now it's 11-3 ball game. And then Cam James scores on a pass ball. And it just seems like, you know what, this thing is just going crazy. So we pinch hit Kite McDonald for Brad Cumbus. And Kite hits an absolute laser into the left field lounge for a two-run shot. Now it's a 14-3 ball game. Mesh is hit by the pitch. And I was concerned about Davis, to be honest with you, because, you know, I didn't get to see the replay because I'm at the game. But after he got hit, he kind of staggered a little bit. And they did send the trainers out to see him, and he was fine. But it was one of those things that for a moment there, it was kind of concerning. But he stayed in the ball game. He's a ball player. Of course, the trainers went out and checked him. We didn't just hope for the best. I mean, they went there and checked him, made sure he was good, and he was. And the next thing you know, Mesh is coming around on wild pitches, and he's you know, at third. They finally walked Forsyth. I was hoping he'd get a chance at a triple and a shot at the cycle there, but he didn't. Then McGowan doubles and drives in uh, a run. It's a 15-3 ball game. And then Kellum Clark with his first hit as a Mississippi State Bulldog. And, man, i tell you one thing. It was one of those Dave Kingman, Babe Ruth, mammoth-type home runs. I thought that one was going to leave the stadium. One of the hardest hit balls I've seen in right field out there. A three-run bomb drives in McGowan and Forsyth. Now it's 18-3. It's like, you know what, this, is, this thing is done. We're all just kind of waiting to get three out so we can go to the house. We bring in a bunch of guys, let, let, let some guys get some PT, had some guys get some ABs. Now it's going to run them around the pole defense. And, man, I tell you what, it did not go well in the bottom of the top of nine. My goodness gracious. So, uh, Huber homers to right field, first pitch he sees from uh, Davis Rokus. And I still think Davis is going to be a good pitcher for us. He didn't have a good night tonight, but uh, he's going to be okay. And so then we walk a guy, and then uh, we hit a guy, and we walk a guy, and the bases are loaded. So we go get Drew Talley. I'm thinking, you know what, you know, Drew, just go in here and throw strikes. You got seven guys behind you with gloves on. Let those guys make plays for you. Go pitch to contact. Don't throw bat in practice, but go in there and make those guys hit their way on. 
chances are they're not going to score 15 runs. And you know, for a while there, it looked like they might. DeShazer gets a double, clears the bases. It's an 18-7 ball game. We go right back and walk a guy. Then McCutcheon singles to left, and then Gish doubles to center field. Now it's an 18-9 ball game. So we pull him and go get Chase Patrick. And what's interesting, there's been two games like this that there have been absolute laughers. And we've needed just somebody to go in there and throw strikes and get us out of the inning. And both times it's been Chase Patrick. Chase did it at Auburn. Chase did it tonight. So Chase goes in, and, uh, of course, the first thing he does is hit the first guy, right? And then Tipton grounds to a fielder's choice, and then we we have an error there, and you think, okay, my goodness, we're going to get out of this thing. And now it's an 18-10 ball game. Uh, but we get a K looking to get out of it. And so a couple things that I want to say about that. Unlike some of you guys, I'm not overly concerned about what happens in these 19-run ball games, and all of a sudden – some guys put some swings on some pitches late. You know, because we're not throwing guys that are going to be pitching on SEC weekends. Not this year. You know, unless there's something that has to happen. You know, but, you know, we're throwing guys on the back end of that bullpen to get them some work. And these are the games you do that. I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me. I'm trying to get home. I know it's especially frustrating for Chris Monos and Scott Foxhall. And I asked Coach about that in postgame, and it's a great answer. You can go read the transcript over on Gene's page where coaches, you know, there's not a lot of conversation with the guy that's leaving, a lot of conversation with the guy that's coming in, kind of setting bunt defense, that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, it's interesting. But we're running some guys out there, letting them get some work, and then a lot of people think, oh, you know, we, you know, we got to close these games cleaner, and I agree with that. I do. But when you've got some guys out there that need innings and you want to see how they're going to perform, the only way to see that is to let them play. You've got to find out who you can trust. And you also got to give those guys some experience. And plus, you know, the best teachable moments are things that happen in games. It's one thing to do it in an inter-squad game. It's another thing to do it, you know, when it matters most, when the lights are on. And you never know how a guy's going to respond until he's under the lights. And so we're kind of learning who we can trust. It is very frustrating. This is two games in a row this has happened to us, though. Those are the things you look at. And I know Lamontis is probably ready to pull his hair out at times. It's like, you know, listen, why can't we just go out here and pound the strike zone? Just don't walk anybody. You know what? You know, we know at times they're going to hit the baseball. Just don't go out there and walk anybody. Don't hit anybody with the pitch. Make them hit their way on. You hear that all the time in Little League Baseball. Nothing really changes. The pitches get faster, the, you know, the, the balls get on you quicker, the field gets bigger, but the principles are the same. The teams that throw strikes win. The teams that don't lose. That's happened to us this year multiple times. But we get to win. It wasn't as pretty as we wanted. It looked a lot prettier at 18-3. And, and then we get out there and all of a sudden uh, you know, we can't get things done. But, uh, you know, listen, we're not counting those guys on weekends. So just kind of remember that as you kind of move forward here. Because I know what's going to happen is all your Ole Miss friends at the water cooler are going to say, man, that bullpen's falling apart. Yeah, I mean, the guys you're throwing on conference, we're not going to try Landon Sims out there in an 18-3 ball game. Not doing it. So we win the ball game. Mississippi State's won a bunch of them. Eight in a row now. Eight in a row. Getting hot at the right time, aren't we? We've got a couple of huge series coming up. With Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, need to win them both. Probably need to do no worse than three and three. Mississippi State now twenty-five and seven on the year. Arkansas State falls to nine and seventeen. Look at the box score before we get out of here, and look around the league. 
Now, Cade Smith earns the victory. His first. Won't be his last. All right, looking at some numbers here real quickly before we go. Uh, Rowdy Jordan, three for four on the night. The only three-hit guy not named Lane Forsythe. Lane goes three for four. He's eight for 12 in his last three ball games. How cool is that? He had the 0 for 4 night on Friday night at Auburn, 4Ks. He's responded by going 8 for 12. You love to see that from anybody, but especially a freshman is kind of figuring this thing out. It's outstanding. He's not just a defensive guy. That was the thing that everybody told me is, well, you know, you're going to sacrifice a lot of offense, but you're going to pick it up a lot defensively with Forsyth. And so you just got to kind of understand he's going to come around, you know, and listen, this kid has exceeded everybody's expectations. Rowdy Jordan with a double, Drew McGowan with a double, Lane Forsyth with a double, home runs to Rowdy Jordan, Kellum Clark, Brad Combus, Kite McDonald, Lane Forsyth. Five different players hit home runs. I saw a stat earlier today that a lot of people, uh, you know, I said a lot of people, a few clowns out there talked about our lack of power, and uh, in one less game than Ole Miss, we've hit more home runs. Funny how that works. It's one of those things I share with you guys all the time because I love you. There are a lot of people that enjoy college baseball that don't know college baseball. And sometimes I get tired of talking to them. I love college baseball. I think I understand it pretty well, too. And one of the best things, too, is I've got a lot of resources around me, so for something I don't understand, I can ask somebody. You, you, you go out and you sign winning baseball players, and they'll go win you games. You go out and sign these all prospecty guys, they may not win you anything. Because a lot of those guys are self-centered. A lot of those guys are looking out for themselves. It's true. Maybe I'm just the only one that's willing to say it. There are a lot of guys out there, they see it all as a means to an end. Yeah, I'll go in there and I'll, I'll play and, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll work hard or whatever. But, um, you know, I want that kid that uh, says, you know what, I mean, playing for Mississippi State's the greatest thing in the world. And if I go in there and do a good job, there's a good chance that uh, I might get an opportunity to keep playing someday. I remember our guys, you know, back in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, it, it didn't matter if they, uh, you know, had a little bit of a tweak or something like that. They just kind of pitched through it. I mean, and it's like, hey, just give me the ball. I'm going to go win 10 games. And I will win two, 10 games, and I got a good chance to get drafted somewhere. And nowadays it's like, well, you know, I woke up and, man, I had a pimple on my forehead, and I don't know if I can pitch today. There's some of that out there. I mean, I know it's a lot of hyperbole, but you understand my point. It's a different day and time. I and, mean, like, when you got guys that come in that are kind of draft conscious, you know, those guys can be a distraction. Because, again, they put themselves first. I want a guy that believes in the M over S and we're all things. Because I believe if you fully commit yourself to your college baseball team and play to the best of your ability, the major leagues will take care of itself. You know, one bad outing is not going to cost you a draft spot. I don't care what they tell you. It's not. If you got stuff, you got juice, you got competitive nature in you, you're smart, they're going to draft you. But I can't go out there and pitch if I'm 90%, Steve. Yes, yes, you can. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. I remember going to College Station, Texas, back in 1998, watching Jeremy Jackson go out there pitching on one, two days rest because that's what the situation required. We piece his thing together, bringing Chris Reinecke at the end to close the thing out. Chris was so jacked up, the very first pitch went about 10 foot over the catcher's head and nearly through the screen. But he went out there again, pitched multiple times in a regional because that's what was required. I don't remember 
Jeff Brantley bowing out of a start because he was worried that he might not be 100%, that some scout somewhere might think they weren't going to take him. It's a different day and time. And you've got all these people now, all these people in these kids' ear trying to tell them, well, don't do this, don't do that. Let the kids play ball. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you've got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Because, you know, you're not going to trick somebody into drafting you anyway. Just let the kids play ball. Get out of their ear. Let them play. 
There's now we don't have these 125, 130 pitching outings. At least not in Mississippi State, we don't. All right, let's look around the league. It was a busy, busy night in the SEC. A lot of teams kind of getting a tune-up before these next big weekend series. When we get back together on Friday, we'll preview the SEC weekend. Let's look at what happened on Tuesday night. You got Georgia State, who was really hot early on. They were kind of a lot of they were kind of like the the, the college baseball mid-major hipsters team. They go to Athens to get beat 10-7. Hey, good for Georgia. Tennessee goes to West Carolina, wins the game 14-12. I'm sure they weren't excited about giving up all those runs. Part of the game, though. Auburn, a lot of people in these parts were talking about how trash Auburn was, and then Auburn goes to Atlanta and beats Georgia Tech. I predicted that on Sunday. Talking to Jason Caldwell, my friend at Inside the Auburn Tigers, I said, you guys are going to be fine because you can score. You've got an offense. And while we're talking about that, let's just kind of look here for ourselves, for our own uh, information here. Auburn, seven runs on six hits. They hold Georgia Tech three runs on four. Uh, just kind of looking through these numbers here, pretty much scattered throughout the lineup. Uh, Stephen Williams, who was a guy that was benched on Sunday, responds with a couple of hits and drives in four RBIs. It looks like Butch got his attention. Pretty good stuff there. Pretty good stuff. So uh, good on you, Butch. And thanks for a little bit of an RPI boost there, right? Thank you much. Keep winning. Bellarmine, and it, listen, up until this year, I didn't even know Bellarmine had a Division One baseball program, and it seems like they have played everybody in the SEC, uh, Nick Mingione, and then blast them tonight 12-0. Florida gets a walk-off win in Gainesville to take down care of Florida State, 3-2. Alabama blasts Samford 19-3, and, man, those guys are playing well right now. We talked about them all year. They're going to be an improved team, and early on in the SEC schedule, they kind of struggled. Then they sweep Texas A&M. We take care of a pretty good Sanford team, too. Uh, A&M goes on the road to Texas State. They win a game 8-4. to four. Good on you, Aggies. South Carolina hosts Charleston Southern. It's a 9-0 ball game for them. Arkansas, 12-4 winners over Arkansas Pine Bluff. LSU Grambling was postponed. Who knows what that's about. Uh, of course, we win 18-10. Ole Miss, 13-1 winners over Austin P. Missouri State goes into Mizzou and upsets the Tigers, if you can call it an upset. 7-5. You know when Missouri scheduled that ball game, we thought this is a run-a-win, will be great. Vanderbilt, the suddenly vulnerable Vanderbilt, barely beats Eastern Kentucky 6-4. We'll kind of look at some numbers here, too, rather interesting. Uh, Vanderbilt, 13 hits, not very efficient with it, though. Six runs on 13 hits. Looking up down this order here, too, I mean, it's pretty spread out. Rodriguez had a four-for-four four night, scored a couple runs, and then uh, Nolan had a one-for-three night but uh, knocked in three. So, you know, it's just part of the deal. But I, I'm not scared of this Vanderbilt team that maybe perhaps uh, the way some other people are. And I know that we'll get their best effort when we go up there. I don't think this Vanderbilt team is anywhere close to what they have had. I know it, that, that Rocker and Lighter get all the headlines. But offensively, this team is just kind of above average. They're not a great hitting team. And if you saw some of those games this weekend against Georgia, man, those swings and misses were huge. They had some really big misses. That tells me they're not seeing breaking ball well. We throw it pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see kind of all that shakes down. That's your look around the league. Let me just double-check this. I don't think it's a real busy night 
on Wednesday. You know, this this deep into the schedule, a lot of people avoid playing uh, two midweek games. There may be a couple out there. Let me double-check this for you. I know last week Ole Miss played uh, five games, and I remember thinking then that's a tough thing to do when you got Arkansas coming up. So, yeah, there's a handful of games tomorrow. Excuse me, just one game. Arkansas Pine Bluff is at Arkansas. So, no games of any appreciable interest. So, we'll kind of move forward with that. All right, today's top ten list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. Listen, you're going to be buying sunglasses anyway. Why not buy them from somebody that's going to give a portion of the proceeds to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation? At some point, I think all of us have a connection to CF. I know I do. We work for a company, one of the largest contributors to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. I believe in that. There's a lot of young people out there that don't have the quality of life that our children do. And so if you are in the market for sunglasses, visit them at johnnypacker.com. I understand that they got a new shipment in today. So a lot of frames that have been unavailable, now available, because you guys have been very good. Side traffic is up. A lot of people going over there checking them out. Go do it today. And don't just do it because you need glasses. Do it because these are good guys. They're bulldogs, but also, too, that a portion of the proceeds go to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation rather than some you know, faraway home office. Again, that's johnnypacker.com. Go check them out today. All right, top 10. Roy kind of talked me into this, and I probably had about 20 of you over the course of the last few months that have said, hey, Steve, you hadn't done done Rush. And I hadn't done Rush. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, I'm not a huge Rush fan. I'm also not a huge prog rock fan. I know some of you guys are. Some of those songs get kind of exhausting uh, to me after a while. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for Rush. They're three incredibly talented musicians. Of course, we lost uh, uh, Neil Peart uh, here in the last uh, year, and an incredible poet, too. Getty Lee's voice has always kind of irritated me a little bit. And I've had some friends say, Steve, what do you mean? I can't explain it. I just, I, it's like trying to, trying to explain why I don't like onions. I don't like the way onions taste. I don't like the way Getty Lee really sounds. There are some songs I think are great. There are other ones I just think, what am I listening to? But absolute magicians on stage, and they can pull it off live, which kind of sets them apart, and they have a huge following. So I know that I'm going to get some criticism about this list because there's going to be some Rush hipsters out there that will – text me about some deep cut that I missed but um, here is the top 10 let me give you a couple honorable mentions before we get going Uh, subdivisions working man how about that working man just narrowly missed the list number 10 I went with an instrumental track I went with YYZ and I listen there are some other instrumentals out there that you guys love and when you put your own list together you can put them on there but YYZ is number 10 for me number nine one of the first big hits for Rush is Closer to the Heart. And uh, another song, too, that wasn't all written by the band. They actually had some help with that one. Uh, Red Barchetta, that's number eight for me. And who doesn't like a fancy car, right? Number seven, 2112, which there are like seven parts to the song, six or seven parts of the song. And when you listen to the song in its entirety, it's like 20 minutes long. And so it's a real wild ride for you. But it's worth taking. If, if you're not familiar with Rush, I, I might even start there. Because if you, don't, if you don't know what prog rock is, man, Rush is like the kings of prog rock. Number six, Time Stands Still, one of the more recent hits from Rush, much deeper in the catalog. Got some good radio play with this one. Now we get into these top five, and I think we can all agree these are probably the top five. We may not 
I agree on the order. But number five, and I probably could have made this one four, but it's free will. I will choose free will. I love the bass line on this song. It's to me, it's that's to me that's the hook in this thing. It's a great bass line. Uh, number four, Fly By Night. And I know that one's that's probably a little bit high for some of you guys. I, I really dig the song. I think the vocal on it is really good. And again, I, you, you've heard me say I'm not a big Getty Lee fan. I thought he did a really good job on this song. Number three, at times in my life, this has been my favorite Rush song. I could have made this number two just really based off a of personal bias. But I said, you know what? I'm going to make their smart call here, and I'm going number three with Limelight. And the song is about, if you're unfamiliar with this, it's living in the limelight. And it's about when Rush became superstars, and all of a sudden you know, there's, there's no longer this, there's privacy. There's a loss of privacy. There's just a loss of your identity, and, and you become part of this machine. That's kind of what the song is about. It's, it's, like it's, it, it's not as good as you might think it is. And these are just kind of three regular guys that just happen to be killer musicians that hit it exceptionally big. And they went from being, you know, kind of a band that enjoyed playing together to being superstars around the world almost overnight. Number two, The Spirit of Radio. This is one of those, I don't think this gets enough airplay, to be honest with you. It's like everybody plays like the same three or four songs from Rush. Spirit of Radio is one of the best Rush songs, and it is also one of their best-selling albums. And so Spirit of Rodeo, Rodeo, Spirit of Radio is a great track, and it's one of those things, too. It kind of takes you on a wild ride. Number one, and uh, this is the definitive Rush track. The first time I heard this song was when Carrie Von Erich walked out. When I was, you know, so when we were kids, we all watched Mid South Wrestling, and then every so often when the antenna would hit just right, you could pick up the wrestling out of Texas. I can't even remember what they called it, but the Von Erichs were on there. And we'd always heard about the Von Erichs and never so often we could see him wrestle. And Kerry Von Erich came out to Tom Sawyer. And that was the first time I heard that song and, you know, the whole talk about being a modern-day warrior, and it just kind of fit. And next thing you know, it seemed like that song was everywhere. So I you know, credit Kerry Von Erich for helping kind of introduce a younger generation of fans to Tom Sawyer. That is an absolute masterpiece. As much as, uh, you know, maybe I'm not the fan of Rush that many of you are, I think anybody that knows anything about music listens to this song, and there's, you know, the, there's the synth aspect of it. There is the percussion on this. It is an absolute gem. I love this track. Uh, I've always loved this song from the very first time that I heard it, and uh, I listened to it on the way home tonight and just thought, you know what, this is it, man. This is like, you want to talk about songs that are near perfection, this is absolutely one of them. It's Tom Sawyer by Rush. That's a top 10 list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. Many of you will tell us, you know what, Steve, I I sent you a list and you didn't do it. And uh, more times than not, it means that um, either I didn't see it or I just couldn't come up with a good list. And so that's uh, my Rush list. And uh, again, I know that there are many of you out there that love Rush much more than I do. So I mean no disrespect to you anyway whatsoever if i forgot your favorite song these are mine so enjoy rush today and i look forward to uh, to the next top 10 list we'll uh, we'll have something cool on friday for sure campus bookmark longtime sponsors of this show they're going to bring you this women's basketball segment today stand to man miss kathy brown the lovely talented Susie, and oh my gosh she gets more lovely every time i see her you should go by and see her yourself 
Great people. They're going to do what they can to take care of you. They outfit their store with the latest in Mississippi State fashions and novelty items. You're going to be glad you went by. If you can't make it to town, perhaps uh, maybe it's a bit of a chore for you to get here, and maybe game day is not a shopping day for you, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's talk some women's hoops here. There have been some changes at Mississippi State on the women's basketball side of things. And maybe you're unaware of this, but Mississippi State recently had Brittany Young leave the program to be a head basketball coach in her own right. And then Scepter Brown is, uh, is, is moved on as well. And that, I understand, was a Mississippi State decision, a Nikki mccray Pinson decision. So we have added two new staff members, and let's break down some of this here. The, the number one thing that, re, that I look at, the first takeaway on these two individuals, is you got people with Power 5 experience. Nikki mccray Pinson was the only member of her staff with extensive Power 5 experience. And she brought her staff with her. It didn't work out. Nikki's making the adjustments. And so we've added Tamisha Augustine from Arizona and Wesley Brooks from Michigan. I'll read you a few quotes from Nikki McCray-Penson. Tamisha and Wesley have been successful at developing players and helping programs win everywhere they have been. I'm excited to have them in our program. Tamisha has a championship pedigree. It doesn't get much better than coaching in the Final Four, and that experience is what we need. She is a tenacious recruiter, and she really relates to players. She knows what the expectations are, and I like the mentality she brings. Wesley has been around some great coaches and programs that have been very successful. He excels in recruiting and player development. He's recruited and coached some of the best players in the country. He just helped lead Michigan to its first Sweet 16. If you tuned out of women's basketball when the Bulldogs were out of it, Arizona played for a national championship. So you're able to go get a coach from a Sweet 16 team this year to join your program, and you go get a staffer from Arizona that come join your program that just absolutely played for a national championship. Just wasn't enough for Stanford. So my honest opinion here is when I begin to look at these things, and I take a take a deep breath, okay, and uh, – you know, kind of look at this women's basketball thing for what it is. And it's so easy to get caught up. Okay, well, this is what happened last year. Okay, last year's over. As bad as it was, it's over. And we still had a win record, and I'm not proud of that. We should be contending for championships, and that's the expectation we have. And so I'm not going to sit here and excuse that and say, well, if we had a win record, no, we should have been much, much better. I knew when we lost that ball game with South Florida that uh, maybe we weren't where we needed to be, and it kind of compounded from there. But let's look at what Nikki's done since then. You've had some people get processed off the roster. You have had some leave of their own volition. But you've had some turnover on the roster. And much of it, not all of it, but much of it is for the betterment of the program. Then you've had two coaches leave, and you've replaced them with Power 5 coaches. Those are the things that I think, okay, well, you know, maybe this – Maybe it'll be okay. Now, I need to see it on the court, but I don't know how you can look at the steps that she's taken and the transfer she's added and the coaches she's hired and say, you know what, this lady isn't serious about winning. I think she realized she came in here this year and got her butt whipped. 
And she's responding. That's what competitors do. If you go out there and you get punched in the mouth, you can lay there or you can get up and start swinging again. And it looks to me like she's up and swinging. So let's kind of see how things progress as we move forward. But, uh, you know, you go out there and you pick up four transfers right out of the gate and they're still chasing a post player. You begin to think about, okay, well, listen, maybe she's got some gumption to her after all. And let's be fair, we don't really know Nikki that well. She's been here, you know, less than a year, or right out of a year. But we don't really know her. I mean, you guys haven't had a chance to interact with her. All you know is what you see on the court, and that hadn't been satisfactory to this point. But I don't think you can look at what she's done in the offseason and say, you know what, this is bad. She went out and brought in some players that fit her system, some, some guards that can get up and go run and can shoot. Got the second, uh, second leading scorer in the country coming in. How about that? You forgot about that? Oh, oh, you didn't know. Got a former AAC freshman of the year coming in from Tulane. So there's a lot right now that kind of gives you some room for optimism. But again, it's not about what happens in the offseason. It's what happens on the court. But in order to get better on the court, you've got to have a successful offseason. And I believe that's what we're doing. So I'm cautiously optimistic about the future. Cautiously optimistic about next year. But Nikki needs to win, and she knows it. And I think she has taken the steps that she knows to take to ensure that this thing kind of moves forward. And I look kind of look forward to seeing how these things kind of mesh and mold together. Let's talk some football recruiting brought to you by your friend Brooks Bryan at Portico. Listen, it's as simple as this. You guys have been talking about this place for a while. And I've had a few of you message me and say, hey, see, what's the name of that place? You're talking about in a boneyard. It's Portico. Make it your next move. When you come off 82 on 12 going towards campus, it is your very first ride. That's Pat Station Road. It turns into uh, Garrett Road as you cross Old West Point Road. And then there's your new home. It's right there. And listen, the first phase is nearly complete. Those houses are nearly gone. So you need to move today. You need to make a move today and call Brooks to get some information and also kind of see, you know, maybe if this is not the time for you, kind of what's going to be available when the time comes for you. Houses to fit every growing family. You have two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath. Maybe it's investment property time for you. Maybe it's your weekend getaway. Maybe it's just a place for you to go put your clothes when you're coming to see the Bulldogs play. But either way, Portico has a place that will fit you. Call Brooks today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks is one of us. Okay, so he's trying to do something positive for Bulldogs and people that live in the greater Starkville area. This is not a situation where Brooks is just like, oh, we all just come on. No, this is, this is a quality place, putting together a quality home. You're going to be happy with this decision. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so since we have been together, there have been a couple of commitments. I told you guys on Monday's show, Jordan Thomas out of Montgomery Catholic Prep was going to commit, and he did. I really like his game. I think he's a little bit undervalued as a prospect, and I think that uh, we're probably going to have to fend off Auburn late. I think he's one of those guys, once senior film kind of makes the rounds, that he could be a guy that um, you know adds some late offers. There's no spring evaluation period. There will be some camps. It'll be somewhat limited, but it's going to be a little different this year. But I really like his game. 
And uh, I think that he is a great addition. Now, we finally on Wednesday – what is today? Yeah, Tuesday, excuse me. Finally on Tuesday, we add Tyler Woodard. So that gives you three DBs in three days. You get Wesley Miller on Sunday, Jordan Thomas on Monday, Tyler Woodard on Tuesday. Not expecting anybody on Wednesday, but you never know with the old pirate. He may cook something up for us. Not expecting anything on Wednesday, but we have done a great job on defensive back recruiting so far this year. And that was the criticism last year. Did you know what? This DB class is terrible. And then the next thing you know, the DB class is almost non-existent. At one point, it was down to Corey Ellington. You add Jalen Green, you're out there kind of chasing some other guys, but it's one of those things you look at and say, you know what? State could ill afford to kind of get behind the eight ball with defensive back recruiting in 2022. They haven't. Now, some would say, Steve, are we full? No, we're not. I think if Kamari Rogers wants to come, which is doubtful, you make room for him. I think if uh, Matthews wants to come. But this is going to be a very heavy defensive back class. We've talked about that on Gene's page from the infancy of the class, that it was going to be skewed towards O-linemen and defensive backs because those are two you know, groups that need some numbers. And we didn't have a great year recruiting last year defensive backs, as you guys are well aware. So we kind of pushed this thing forward. And it's good to see us get out of the gate. But we're not done. You say, well, Steve, I don't understand. How can we not be done? Now, Tyler Woodard's going to play corner. Jeterius Elam's going to play corner. And then all of a sudden, you've got all these safeties. You kind of figure this thing out as you go. But there's still some other players out there that are of real quality that State's still recruiting. So those are the things you kind of got to look for. You say, okay, well, we're probably done at defensive back recruiting. I won't be the least bit surprised if it is a 6-DB class. Not in the least. One of the main reasons why is because there are so many talented prospects out there that Mississippi State is still on. And if one of those guys says, you know what, Coach, on be Bulldog, you make room. You don't ever turn down great players. And there are still some great ones out there. Now, let's talk about what, what could be to come. Well, you know, the spring game is this weekend. So just about anybody who's anybody's going to be here. There'll be a few guys that can't make it due to the ACT. But guys are going to be on campus, and they can't have any interaction with the staff while on campus. That's prohibited. The only reason they can come to spring game is because it's open to the public. So they're going to be able to come. They have a good time. They can congregate together. They cannot go out there and be on the sidelines for the ball game like you normally see. That's kind of behind you for now. But there are going to be a bunch of guys here, names you know. Guys like Bryson Hurst, guys like Carter Edwards. A bunch of your 2021 signees, just about all of them are going to be here. Most of your 2022 commitments are going to be here as well. Uh, Jackson Cannon, I believe, is going to be here. You know, it's a, there's going to be a long list. It's going to be an impressive list. Now, we cannot talk to them either while they're on campus because even though they're here unofficially, and it's kind of unofficially unofficial, what I mean by that is, is like, because there's nobody to check them in. You know, it's open to the public so they can kind of see it where they want to. So I'm encouraged you to, don't go out there and speak to anybody's prospects. Just, you know, kind of keep to yourself. Let's not put the university in harm's way. We got good coaches, they can recruit themselves. We're not like some other folks that need to have fans involved to get players to commit to come play for our school. So this is this whole thing is going to kind of move forward and we've got some guys that are going to be on campus that could be close to making a decision we talked a lot about janoris hops on this show he is the guy that is kind of teased about it but it's never really come out and said hey listen this is what i'm going to do i'm ready to do it listen he's all dog it's just going to be one of these situations 
do we take him now? Do we push him now? Do we take him in May? Do we take him in uh, middle of the season? What do we do? So we're still kind of figuring that thing out. I don't know why you'd push him off. But uh, there are some guys out there that you probably need to get some measurables on. You probably need to get some objective third-party times on. I don't know that Janoris has been in many combines or anything. But, I, listen, I'd feel a whole lot better if I could see a 4-5 somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Carter Edwards is a guy that's visited state a couple times here in the last six to eight weeks. Be, should be back this weekend. That's a plan anyway. It was some that thought that he would go ahead and commit right after his second visit. I was one of those people. Then he goes to Colorado, and it kind of slowed the process down a little bit. So we'll kind of see how things develop. I like Carter Edwards. I do. He's a good player. Is he a guy that's going to make it break the class? No. But I think he's a guy that's going to play for you someday. So uh, hope to get that kind of resolved and worked out sooner rather than later. Don Terry Russell going to be here from Provine. And that's the thing, too, that I think about, too, when – when I look at this class, Mississippi State currently ranked 13th in the country in college football recruiting. I don't think WAPT will go run a story about that, though, because it's not about Ole Miss. But, um, you know, be that as it may, 13th in the country. And it, if you look at the team rankings, and let's do that together here, because uh, I think it's important that we kind of have some context here. Because a lot of times, like as we saw with that Ole Miss story last year, the reason they were – or a couple years ago, the reason they were ranked number one – is because they had about five or six times as many commitments as everybody else. So let's look at the uh, the top ten here. Ohio State with 11 commitments, Georgia with 12, LSU with 11, Notre Dame with 11, Texas A&M with 8, Rutgers 11, Penn State 8, Oklahoma 7, Texas 7, Florida State 7, Boston College 11, Cincinnati 11, and then there's Mississippi State with 9. Oregon with 8, Arkansas with 8. So – we're right there pretty close to on par with everybody else and actually have uh, less than maybe half of the top ten. Now, will we stay there? Well, that's the million-dollar question, right? Well, here's the deal. When you go look at our commitment list, and we are 13th in the country, and you begin to kind of break this thing down and you look at the available talent, yeah, there's a really good chance the state stays in the top 20. And maybe if you get some luck somewhere, possibly you could be top 15. You know, looking at this right now, it's like, let's run this thing down. You've got one four-star player, and that's Jacarius Clayton. That's it. Khalid Morris, probably a little bit undervalued. Jatarius Elam, Dakota Jordan, Wesley Miller, all those guys are three stars. And you can say, well, Steve, where's the star power going to come from? Well, I'm about to tell you. You still got Stone Blanton out there as a four-star. Grew up Mississippi State fan. We expect to get him. Don Terry Russell's a four-star. His brother, DeMonte Russell, already on campus. We expect to get him. You get R.J. Moss down there in Biloxi, who's a Mississippi State lane. We expect to get him. You start running this thing down, you, know, you get Bryson Hurst, you know, oh, hey, wait a minute. And what if you pull off the surprise and get Chaz Preston? And all of a sudden, you start looking at this class saying, wow, look at what Mike Leach is doing. So we're doing great right now, but as we have done in years past – you know, we kind of we, we kind of get out early. And the next thing you know, we don't have enough star power to kind of sustain the ranking. And so it just kind of drops over time. But when you look at what's still available to Mississippi State, you look at the leans and you look at people in-state that have talked favorably of Mississippi State, you begin to realize, yeah, th- this is a class that can stay in the top 20 because of the fact that many of the four stars that are expected to be in this class have not committed yet. Again, you got one four-star right now committed, and that's Jacarius Clayton. That's it. 
And so you begin to break this thing down and think, okay, we've got the potential to add four, five, maybe six more four stars. And you begin to kind of fill this class out with some, uh, you know, some solid three-star guys like Trent Singleton. You begin to think, okay, well, wait a minute. We're going to – our average commitment could end up somewhere around 88, 89. Right now it's running 86 because you've got a bunch of 86s, but you've got some other players out there that are – They've got a lot more stars attached to their names, so as a result, they're going to help you in the rankings. And listen, rankings for recruiting and rankings for college baseball at this point are just kind of for entertainment purposes only. But Mississippi State's best recruiting ranking is still to come. You know, what happens if Dante Russell jumps on board this weekend? Or maybe Janoris Hobson with them? All of a sudden that puts you in the top ten. Is that sustainable? Probably not. Because you're you're really getting in the deep woods there, you know. But but I think this is a class that has the potential to be in a top 15. I think it's definitely a top 20 class when all the dust settles. But I think you've got an opportunity to possibly, if the cards fall just right, to be a top 15 recruiter this year. I think it happened one time under Dan Mullen. One time. And so when you begin to think, you know, you've got a coaching staff that works hard, that relates well to the kids, and you're bringing in a higher value kid, then all of a sudden you start thinking. Wait a minute. Maybe this Mike Leach thing's going to work out. I'm excited about it. I like the class. I like what the potential of this class can can be too. And so when I when I get excited about the possibility of adding a few guys that maybe um, you know maybe are just enjoying the process right now, we're going to be even better. Like Jacoby Matthews is who I was talking about earlier. Jacoby's a guy too that I know that. Uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of given up on that. I haven't given up on that. I'm not saying that I expect him, but I know that they would take him. Uh, Jamon Tapp is a guy out of Louisiana that's kind of mentioned State a few times. I don't expect to get him. Jaheim Otis out of Columbia, Mississippi. State's very much in the mix there. Xavier Harris out of Germantown. I expect Mississippi State to get him. That's another four-star guy. You start start counting this thing down, and you start thinking, you know what, Steve, this, this has the potential to be one of the best classes we've had this century, and there's no doubt about it. You had Xavier Harris, who's a four. You had R.J. Moss, who's a four. Dante Russell, who's a four. You had Stone Blanton, who's a four. And all of a sudden, you know, you're getting kind of star heavy here. Bryson Hurst, also a four. There's a lot of guys out there that uh, have some real potential that could do some big things for us. So what's different about this class and some other classes that have been advertised by the in-state meeting the last few years is that State hadn't shot their wad all early. And you still got an opportunity to go back and add some players of value. Again, just one four-star in the class. And so when I began to look at this thing objectively, as objectively as a Mississippi State Bulldog can look at, I said, you know what, we've got a chance to not only sign one of the best classes that we've ever signed, have a chance to sign the best class that Mike Leach has ever signed. Now, all of a sudden, you start giving a guy like that, an offensive mind like that, you know, some real appreciable SEC talent. Now, all of a sudden, the expectations change in Starkville. Hey, and listen, I want to tell you guys, too, um, many of you reached out after uh, the Starkville shirt made its big debut on TV, and there's been a few of them, actually. And I've had people send me pictures of that, and then there was the one, that, you know, behind the, the home plate that um, was incredible. And so you guys ordered a whole bunch of Stark Villain shirts, and it depleted the inventory. And I uh, heard from Jason a couple days ago. 
Jason's a great guy, does a great job for us. Jason says that all sizes and colors are now back in stock. And so if you had tried to order a Stark Villain shirt and maybe it wasn't available in your size or color that you wanted, uh, it's time to give that another opportunity. Go ahead and check in now at StarkVillains.com and you can get those shirts ordered. And uh, listen, it's so it's great to see them out there. And there are so many of you that are so supportive and so gracious. Uh, I don't even know where to begin to say thank you. But I do say thank you. Thank you so much for your support. A lot of people have asked too, Steve, what's going on with the new book? Every, at least once a day, I got a message from somebody inquiring about the new book. So for those of you that don't know, you know, I've, I've been in recovery a long time. And so there's some recovery stuff in there, not necessarily preachy stuff. It's just kind of words of encouragement to people that are perhaps struggling with that. Maybe somebody in your life could benefit from that. It's also about uh, 40 poems or so, and then there's a short story about uh, me and my dad's relationship and how we ultimately became best friends. And uh, so people said, well, Steve, where are we in this process? And so uh, actually, I finished everything on March 31st and submitted it on April Fool's Day. You can you know write your own jokes there. Submitted it then, and then last week we go through a content review where there's like a, you know an editor, a content editor, and then there is the grammatical editor and i'm happy to say that they didn't send back any grammatical errors so maybe i'm getting better at this thing they also approved the content review and they're actually excited about the book and so it's just a new venture for me i'm really excited about it but i don't know how this is going to be received i mean it's it's a departure from my sports books but i listen i'm not i'm not i'm not leaving that behind i'm gonna be back on that next year but um it's very personal to me it means a lot to me and uh, I hope that you will be uh, supportive of the work. And uh, I love what I hear a lot from guys that say, hey, I, I'm probably going to buy that for my wife as like a gift. That sounds great. And then I've heard from some of the wives that say, hey, I'm going to buy that for myself from a gift because I like poetry. Uh, so we believe the women are going to buy it. I hope you guys will buy it too, even if not for yourself, maybe for somebody special in your life. But I will share with you too, these are not just these uh, roses or red, violets or blue Um I love you, won't you love me too? It's not those kind of poems. You know, it, it's just not. I mean, there's a lot of things in there that uh, are somewhat cryptic. There are other things that um, are very positive and uplifting. There's some other things that are pretty dark. And uh, that's just the duality of man, though. There's just so much that happens in life that, um, you know, all, all sunshine and no rain makes a desert, right? I've had some rainy season in life, and I've had uh, some sunshine in my life too, just as many of you have. And so my hope is you'll read some of this stuff and we can have this spirit of commonality. So you know what? I felt that way at some point too. So I'm excited about it. Don't know what to expect. But uh, now that we are done with the content review, it now leaves uh, this one section and goes to production. And then they will lay out the book and send me proofs. And then I'll look through it. And it's only, I guess, about fifteen to 16,000 words. It's not like Flim Flam or or Alpha Dogs, or Starkville, and all those were 75,000 plus. I think Alpha Dogs came in about 80,000 words. So it's much smaller, and it's an easier read because a lot of this you know, poetry doesn't take up as much room on the page. But they'll lay that out, send it to me, and then uh, once I approve that, it'll head off to print. They tell me they can turn it around pretty quick. And so this is a new publisher I'm working with. Uh, I haven't left uh, Paul Brown. This is just something that I wanted to do for myself uh, Paul T. Brown has been so gracious to me, and uh, Paul, uh, you know, published all three of the books, and uh, they've all done exceptionally well. And I, I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am to Paul Brown. 
contacts me and says, hey, listen, I've got some people lined up that uh, think this book will do great. And it turned out to be Flim Flam. And it did do great. And there are a lot of people out there that uh, have read the book that have gotten back to me and say, Steve, it was better than I even expected. And then I've had people say, you know what, Steve, I loved all the history and Stark villains and uh, loved that one. And then I think Alpha Dogs might be the best thing you've written. I hope so. I hope I'm getting better with this thing. But um, again, Blooms of Oleander is the name of the new book. And if you don't know what Oleander is, let me give you a brief little story before I go. So Oleander is this very beautiful uh, flower that has these incredible blooms, but they're poisonous. And it's a great metaphor for toxic relationships. At least that's what I've encountered in much of my life is these, the things that attract me are harmful to me. And so I thought that was a great metaphor. And um, I think I shared with you guys before, I, I really liked the band Oleander. And I thought that was a cool name for a band. I wonder what it was about. And so once I found out what it was about, it was just a matter of time what I was going to use that for. Was it going to be the title of a book or a chapter? Or was it going to be you know some phrasing in a poem? Uh, and so it ended up kind of being all that stuff. But I thought it was a killer title. My sister designed the cover. Uh, my baby sister, Reagan, I have four sisters, and I love them all dearly. I don't get to see them as much as I'd like to. But my baby sister, Reagan, came to Mississippi State, and her dream was to become an artist. And then in the middle of her education here at State, my dad died. And uh, she elected to move home to be with her mom. And, and I support that decision. Absolutely support that decision 100%. And so she moved back in with her mom and then uh, finished up there in Jackson uh, through uh, UMC. And, and so when I had the opportunity, I was kind of in the planning stages of writing this book. I said, you know, it's one day it hit me that, you know, she was always so artistically inclined when she was in school. And, uh, you know, she designed all the shirts for the school and she could draw really well. And so I just hit her up one day and I said, hey, Reagan, listen, I'm going to write this book and I wish I knew somebody uh, that was kind of artistic that could design the cover for me. And I don't think she got the joke initially. And I kind of kept hinting around about it. And she finally said, are you asking me to design the cover for your new book? And I said, yes, I am. And so this is a bit of a family project, too. And uh, there's some people, too, that are close to me that have kind of contributed um, some inspiration and so this is one of those things that kind of organically came together. It wasn't one of those things where I said, hey, listen, I'm going to write a book of poetry. I already had most of it done. And then I had to dig down deep, too, and find some new things to kind of put in there. And uh, it's been very cathartic for me. And if it goes well, we'll probably do it again in a couple of years. I might just do with these kind of in-between major book cycles just to kind of stay busy. And uh, I'm going to, you know, when I get poetry these days, I'm going to go ahead and write it and kind of get it together. But I hope that you'll like it. I know if some people are thinking, you know what, I don't know how this is going to go, Steve. And you know what, I don't either. And that's the, that's the excitement of it all. But one of my best friends told me, said, you know what, Steve, people are never going to see this coming from you. When they read this, they're going to be blown away that you wrote this. And um, that means a lot to me that people would feel that way. And so I've shared many of these poems with uh, some people that uh, I feel that are pretty good, you know, focus group. And they've been pretty well received. So I hope you dig them. But I will have a release date for you sooner rather than later. It's weird for me to think that uh, this is book number four. Flim Flam came out uh, in 2017, and here we are in 2021, and it's book number four. It kind of blows me away. I'm excited about it. I'm nervous about it, too. I'm nervous about it because uh, you just never know how you're going to be received with stuff. But uh, I didn't write it for you guys. I wrote it for me, and I also wrote it you know, for people like the Still Suffering Attic. And I've been clean and sober now 29 years plus and there's a lot of people out there that, that are 
impacted and touched by addiction. And my oldest sister, Kim, uh, has always said, you know, I do these recovery randoms on Facebook. I write about them, and I just kind of put some inspirational things out there. Whatever's on my heart, it's my Facebook page. I can write whatever I want. And so she goes, you know, I wish you would do a book of the randoms. And uh, that's what I call the, my random thoughts. So I kind of incorporated that, too. So that was my sister Kim's idea. So there's some randoms in there. And then Reagan designed the cover. So it truly is a family project. And, uh, again, I look forward to holding this book in my hands. I look forward to, to you guys reading it and giving me your feedback. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I don't know if I have any left. All right, so let's get out of here. So Friday, we're going to preview the SEC weekend, and we're going to talk a whole lot about Ole Miss baseball and kind of preview the weekend. They've had some pretty significant injuries here in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, listen, you hate that for anybody. You do. And uh, you really hate it for the kids. And there's a lot of guys out there that have Major League Baseball aspirations and have to make difficult decisions uh, when these things happen. But, again, you never you never want to see a student athlete uh, lose a season to injury because there's, you know, there's no guarantee they come back in the same shape in which they got injured. So we'll break all that down on Friday. Look forward to being with you. And so we're going to take a couple days and kind of chill a little bit. And you can catch us over at jeanspage.com. Come join the discussion over on the message board. And uh, we've always got some uh, interesting things to talk about over there. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies. And people can see a difference in the way we live.